Well, we welcome all of you who are joining us online, as well as those of you who are meeting together here at Central Campus, along with others who are meeting at one of our other campuses in Airdrie, Bridgeland, South Calgary, and also our Bears Paw campus. If you're visiting with us today, um, or you're relatively new to our church, typically once a year I give a state of the church address in which I focus on what God has been doing in and through us as a church, what we believe God is saying to us, and also where he is leading us as a church. Now, I don't need to tell you that over the last two and a half years, we have experienced a time of great uncertainty and confusion. And with the war going on in Ukraine, the uncertainty continues for many. Many people continue to be unsure of who to believe, who to trust in and are genuinely seeking direction in life. Well, as Christians, we are not left to ourselves. We can find peace and joy by placing our trust in our Lord Jesus Christ and following his instructions for life. And this is what I believe the Lord wants me to focus on in the State of the Church Address this year, to go back to the biblical basis and remind us of what Christ calls us to give our lives to. In Matthew chapter 22, verse 34, a religious leader approached Jesus with this question. He said, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, over in John 13, shortly after washing his disciples' feet, Jesus added an additional command. He said, a new command I give you. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Jesus essentially says here, if you're wondering during this time of confusion and uncertainty, what the focus of your life should be, what the focus uh, of your, what your highest priority should be in life. Nothing is more important or more fulfilling in life than loving God, loving others, and loving one another. Now, here's the thing. My observation is, is that through COVID, our enemy Satan has created a perfect storm to tempt us to take our eyes off of Jesus and to keep us from the priorities that Jesus calls us to give our lives to. I refer to it as Satan's 3D wish list for you and me. His first temptation is that we would be distant from God. His second is that we would be divided as Christians. And his third is that we would be distracted from the mission God has called us to. Distant from God instead of loving God. Divided as Christians 
instead of loving one another, distracted from our mission instead of loving others. This is the devil's wish list for you and me. Now in this message, I want to talk about the first of those. Next week, we'll be talking about the other two. But I want to talk about the ways that I believe Satan is tempting us ever so subtly to be distant from God. I'm going to invite you to turn your Bibles or your Bible apps to Revelation chapter 2. In Revelation 2 and 3, we find Jesus giving essentially a state of a church address to the seven churches in Asia, real churches that existed at that time in what is now the nation of Turkey. And beginning in chapters 2, verse 2, he says this to the church in Ephesus. I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not, and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. Jesus begins by commending them for a number of things, including their hard work and their perseverance in doing good. And one takeaway from this particular passage is that Jesus sees your deeds. All the things that you are doing, all the sacrifices you are making out of your love and your devotion for him. Your senior pastor may not see them. Other pastors, other Christians may not see what you give or what you do, but Jesus sees them. He sees your faithfulness in the way that you live, in the way that you serve, and in the way that you give. He sees our commitment to prayer as a church, to stay true to the gospel and the scriptures, and to introduce people to Jesus. In fact, I invite you to join the angels of heaven in celebrating the 343 children, youth, and adults who embraced Jesus as Lord and Savior this past year through the ministry of our church. Thank you, Jesus. Jesus sees our commitment to help his spiritual children become fully devoted to him through our times of worship like this, our teaching on the weekends, but also at other times through the week, through our missional community groups who are focusing on learning what it means to walk the way of Jesus, uh, through our various age-specific discipleship ministries. He sees the over 3,000 meals and hampers we distribute to the needy every month. He sees the hundreds of new Canadians we are helping and encouraging and the prayers and the investments we're making in partner churches and partner ministries around the world. Earlier in the service, reference was made to this brochure which gives you just a glimpse the tip of the iceberg, as it were, of how God has been changing lives through the sacrificial giving of our time, our talent, and our financial resources 
And I encourage you to read it and to remember that behind every statistic is the story of someone's life whose eternal trajectory has forever changed in part because of the prayers and the faithfulness of God's people. Jesus sees it all. And not only do I want to thank you for your faithfulness, but I want to remind you of the words of the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Which brings us to verse 4, where we notice the tone of the passage changes. And Jesus says this, Yet I hold this against you, you have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. So what is first love? Well, first love is the love that we enjoyed when we first committed our lives to Jesus Christ. When we first experienced God's grace, God's forgiveness, and freedom, true freedom in Christ. A first love is a love that treasures Jesus, knowing him, talking to him, hearing from him, living for him, serving him, brings great delight. Jesus says in Matthew 6, 19, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. To love and treasure Jesus means he's the object of your highest affection. It is to want to become like him in your character, in your values and priorities, and to live the way that he did. To love and treasure Jesus means to do what he asks you to do out of love for him, not out of a sense of duty or a sense of obligation. You know, one example of first love, of course, is a couple who have just fallen in love. They have eyes only for the other. They're smitten with romance, replete with love letters and walks in the rain and ridiculous attempts at poetry. You talk to them and they won't even notice that you're there. They are lovesick. They're only thinking about the other. They long to be with the other and will do almost anything to be together. It's called the romance stage. But with the passing of time, the Novocaine called romance begins to wear off and they hit a wall called reality. And it is in this stage where the quality and depth of their love is really tested. Now, I believe that most Christians want their love for the Lord to remain alive and to remain rich. The challenge is our love for God can diminish in the same way that a couple's love for one another can diminish. And the primary reason this happens is because we live in a broken world. Our love for God can diminish because of sin in our lives. In fact, in Matthew 24, verse 12... Jesus talking about the signs of the end of time. 
And he says, because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. It'll grow cold toward God, and it'll grow cold toward others. And we're seeing the birth pangs of that right now, aren't we? Sin is always an obstacle to first love. It's rebellion against God. It's a spirit that says, I will do what I want to do. And this prideful, self-centered spirit will always cause love to grow cold in our relationship with God, our relationship with others. But furthermore, our love for God can diminish through neglect. We get busy with life. The demands of our job, the demands of parenting all play a role in eroding the time available to maintaining our friendship with Jesus. And thirdly, our love and affection for the Lord can erode because of counterfeit gods. If we become obsessed with achieving a certain status at work or obsessed with others liking us and admiring us or having more stuff or experiencing more comfort and fun and pleasure, all these aspirations and desires can begin to take first place in our lives and our friendship with God can begin to take a back seat. But perhaps the most subtle way that our love for God can diminish is through boredom. A quiet stagnation that comes from not being on mission. My wife Gwen and I experienced this during the first year of COVID. To be clear, we weren't bored with each other thankfully, but we did notice something wasn't quite right in our relationship with the Lord. During a time of self-examination, I noticed I wasn't motivated to read and meditate on the scriptures like I used to. I wasn't angry with God. I really didn't have an issue with him, but I didn't go to him with the same desire and frequency I did before. Pre-COVID, I regularly asked the Lord to do my day with me. I'd get up in the morning. I'd say, well, Lord, what are, you, what are you up to today? Kind of idea. And I would ask him to point me in the direction of someone he was working in or bring to mind someone that perhaps needed to be encouraged. Now, of course, COVID made it hard to do that in person and often limited things to a phone call. But even so, my desire to do that had greatly diminished. Well, make no mistake, I'm sure some of it was just sheer physical and emotional exhaustion stemming from the daily challenges we were facing as a staff and as a church through the heavy issues and the uncertainties we faced through COVID. But deep down, I knew something wasn't right. As I examined my spiritual life, I had to admit, I had to admit that I was in the desert in my relationship with the Lord. And I remember thinking, how did I get here? Looking back on it now, it started during the initial three to four month lockdown about two and a half years ago. Even though we were isolated in our homes, most of my working days were still filled uh, through all the uncertainties and complexities that came with the pandemic via, you know, uh, taking phone calls, preparing sermons, doing church updates, 
There was time to exercise. There was time to have some meaningful conversations with Gwen. However, not being able to see family, other staff, not even being able to see our missional community or our church family, except through Zoom, left time that we usually invested in relationships wide open. And then someone suggested we may want to watch a certain series on Netflix. Now, before the pandemic, I could count on less than one hand, and I include my right hand in that, I could count on less than one hand the number of movies on television that we watched in a year, maybe two or three. About the only time I turned on the television was to watch hockey, and up until more recently, the Flames were, were sort of hard to watch. And so I didn't watch much of hockey either. Anyways, we decided to watch a series that others had recommended, and it wasn't long that the series hooked us and kept us coming back for more. We had the best of intentions, and during the lockdown, we agreed we would watch just one 45-minute episode a day. But then there were times when an episode left us hanging <laughs> and enticed us to do what we had committed to not do, to watch the next one. Now here's the thing, very subtly and gradually over time, my desire to watch the next episode and to watch more than one episode grew. And my desire to spend time with the Lord, to be in his word, to pray, to read a good book, or even to talk to people over Zoom or on the phone, diminished. Not only did the plot of the series captivate us, but it felt good to just snuggle up on a couch, get out our comfort food, and watch the next episode or two. So months after the lockdown, as I contemplated why I felt more distant from God than I'd been in years, why the want to, to be on mission seemed to diminish in my life, I had to admit that Netflix very subtly captivated way more of my affection and time than I ever thought it could. Now, something else I noticed is that during the COVID lockdown, I started spending way more time on my smartphone. As I was trying to ascertain what led to this spiritual distance that I was feeling, I had to admit that there were times often just in an attempt to decompress from the pressure that I was feeling, that I would just kind of go on autopilot and use up precious time reading some of the news, the sports clips on Flipboard, or scrolling through some of the health remedies, the exercise routines, the home improvement hacks, and humorous clips on Instagram. And what I couldn't understand is why the pull to check my phone was so strong. Now, Dr. Ann Lemke, in her book entitled Dopamine Nation, she says, our smartphones are not a neutral force. 
It exerts a powerful pull that is rooted in a chemical dependency and can result in the same addictive behaviors that plague drug addicts. This is verified by research coming out of Harvard University. Dopamine is a chemical produced by our brains that plays a starring role in motivating behavior. It gets released when we take a bite of delicious food. I mean, think cheesecake. Or it gets released after we exercise vigorously. Or we receive a genuine compliment, to name just a few. The problem is the brain doesn't know whether a certain behavior is good or bad. It simply gives you a dopamine hit. Smartphones and other social media have provided us with a virtually unlimited supply of social stimuli, both positive and negative. Every notification has the potential to be a positive social stimuli and a dopamine hit. If you've ever found yourself on your phone mindlessly scrolling through social media, this is why. Your brain is inadvertently triggering you to keep going in search of that reward. Dr. Lemke gives this warning. She writes, we are all addicts to a degree. She calls the smartphone the modern-day hypodermic needle we turn to for quick hits, seeking either attention, validation, and or distraction with each swipe, like, and tweet. Now, here's the thing. At the heart of all of this is hedonism, which is, has firmly rooted itself into our culture. And as I said before, we know that Satan is behind this, the great conspirator. So what is hedonism? Hedonism is the view that pleasure and comfort is the only intrinsic good and that pain and discomfort is the only intrinsic bad. The hedonist makes the pursuit of pleasure and the avoidance of pain paramount to all other pursuits in life. Paul summarized it well in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 32. Let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. That, in a nutshell, is the philosophy in our culture today. Now, we're kidding ourselves, friends, if we think that hedonism hasn't made its way into the church and into our lives. Tony Reinke, author of the 12 ways your phone is changing you, he writes, we are addicted to our phones, tapping, typing, and swiping an average of two to four hours a day. That's on average. I mean, doesn't that just shock you? But you see, we think, you know, I've got this under control. It's just a little bit of fun. And fun is all right. Nothing wrong with fun. But let's be aware of what's happening and think about how we can prevent this from getting out of control 
in our lives and leading to a complete breakdown, not only in relationship with God, but also with his church. I say that because if we're not careful, soon we'll be seeking only what is pleasing and pleasurable and fun. In food terms, we will only be eating cake and ice cream and avoiding those foods that actually keep us alive and healthy. You know, some of you here, in particular, perhaps some seniors, you're thinking, I don't have a problem with this at all. I don't have an iPhone. (coughs) You know, I don't have Netflix or any of this stuff. And that's great. Satan may be trying to distract you in other ways. But what I want to say about what I've just talked about and what's being referred to here is that your children and your grandchildren are being greatly impacted by this. The Apostle Paul said, everything is permissible for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. And what he's saying is, I will only be mastered by the Lord. Nothing on this planet and this life will define me. You know, over in Luke chapter 8, verse 14, it warns us that our seed of faith can be choked out by three things. By life's worries, by riches, and also by pleasures. And as a result, the seed of faith within us will not grow and mature. And make no mistake, Satan can and is using pleasures and comfort to choke out our desire for God and our affection for God and to leave us disconnected or distant from Him. It can bring us to a place where we become less and less tolerant, even annoyed at anything that makes us uncomfortable or requires effort or doesn't give us a dopamine hit or instant gratification. It can tempt us to pass over our quiet time with the Lord. It can tempt us to ignore quality time with family or a friend, from being in community with others, from serving others, or gathering with others in person to worship God the way we are right now. After all, as we learned during the COVID lockdown, it's so much easier, it's so much more comfortable, is it not, to watch a worship service in our pajamas with coffee in hand? In fact, during the lockdown, I remember Gwen and I are sitting there watching our worship service online. I'm preaching. And Gwen looks over at me and says, you know, I could get used to this. <laughs> I'm grateful that we're able to live stream our services and we're able to do it during COVID. And and we're able to do that now for those who are immune compromised or not physically able to come in person to in-person worship. But for those who are able to come, I want to remind you that being a disciple of Jesus is far more than watching a service online. And I hope and pray that your definition of Christianity isn't limited to watching a service online once a week. And I also want to remind you that there is a difference between watching a service 
and experiencing God's presence together with others in worship. Can you say amen to that? Online worship may be more convenient and comfortable, but Hebrews 10, 24, and 25 challenges us to not give up meeting together, but to spur one another on toward loving good deeds. And folks, for us to be spurred on, we need to be together in person. In a book entitled Surprised by Fear, the author Natha writes, the more people get in the habit of watching YouTube, sports, Netflix, and the like, the harder it will be for them to listen to a sermon that's longer than 10 minutes. Because YouTube videos, Instagram clips, and two-hour action-packed movies give you a dopamine hit every 30 seconds or so, while 30 to 45-minute sermons, regardless of how compelling they may be, are increasingly seen as just too slow, too long, something that you just have to slog through. And sadly, spending time in the presence of God will be viewed as even more painful. He goes on to write, people seeking dopamine hits will avoid teachers that challenge them about sin in their life. If a sermon talks about how destructive sin is and dealing with sin in your life, this will be perceived by many as painful. And this pain is to be avoided at all costs. It's the anti-dopamine boost. And so instead, they avidly seek teachers and churches with what they want to believe and what makes them feel good and comfortable. Now look at what 2 Timothy 4.3 says. It describes this really well. For the time is coming when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. What that verse is saying, and it's saying a lot, but it's saying that as we get closer to the return of Christ, fewer and fewer people will listen to challenging sermons that may cause discomfort in the short run, but actually lead to positive transformation in the long run. Now, I share all of that with you to help us understand how Satan is using all kinds of sinister ways to torpedo our relationship with God. Tony Reitke writes, the more distracted we are digitally, the more displaced we become spiritually. And based on how my wife Gwen and I were negatively impacted through our television and smartphones during those months of lockdown, we agree with him. As I said earlier, during the first year of COVID, we were oblivious to the subtle shift that was happening inside of us. Until one day during a time of examination, self-examination reflection became clear to us 
we were feeling spiritually dry and even feeling spiritually lethargic, which of course caused us to wonder, were others in our church experiencing the same thing? Well, a few months ago, I talked with someone whose transparency confirmed our suspicion. A person approached me, and among other things, he said, you know, for some time now, I've rationalized that I am too tired and I am just too busy to cultivate a relationship with God. I'm too busy, too tired to pray, to, to be in the Word, to be in relationship with other people or to serve others. And that is the truth, he said. I am too tired and I'm too busy. However, he went on to say, as hard as it is to admit this to you, the real reason I'm too tired and too busy to pray, to read my Bible, to serve, is because every spare moment that I have, I'm scrolling through social media on my phone. And outside of work, I'm spending hours a day watching not one series, but several series at the same time on Netflix, Amazon Prime, many times into the wee hours of the morning. And he said, I'm exhausted. I'm just so sick of living this way. It was quite an admission, but I think this person described what is true not only with most people in our culture, but also with many Christians. And so let me ask you, how true is this of you? How distant are you from God? And do you know what the reason is? If you're in the wilderness in your relationship with God, if lethargy, a spiritual lethargy has kind of crept in, could it be that your affection for the Lord has been distracted through your smartphone, your television, your computer? Now, I'm not suggesting that we need to get rid of our phones, our computers, our televisions, but speaking for myself, I've personally experienced how these devices can draw my affections away from the Lord. They can diminish my passion to be on mission. They can impact my thinking and my thoughts. And once I realized that, I knew I had some serious business to do with God. And perhaps you have some serious business to do with God as well. Now look at verse 5. In this verse, Jesus spells out how we can restore our first love. If you sense that there is a distance between you and God, and maybe you don't know why, you just know there is. Jesus gives us a pathway to returning to our first love here. He said, first, consider how far you have fallen. This means regularly ask the Lord to search your heart as you are reading and searching the scriptures. In Psalm 139, King David prays one of the most vulnerable and honest prayers in scripture. This is what he prays. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. 
Notice David asked two major things of the Lord in this verse. Lord, search me, and Lord, lead me. When David prays, Lord, lead me in the way everlasting, he's saying, Lord, I don't want to waste my life on things that are not going to matter in the end. I want my life to focus on the eternal things of God. And I want you to lead me there. And so to do that, I need to hear what you're saying, Lord. And so search me. Show me anything in my heart and in my life that's getting in the way of you leading me. Getting in the way of me hearing your voice through the scriptures or through your promptings. Getting in the way of me having a close relationship with you. Getting in the way of me carrying out the assignments that you're calling me to do. David's asking here, Lord, show me the true condition of my heart. Show me if there's something that I'm putting ahead of you in my life that's causing me to be distant from you. This is essentially what Jesus means when he says, consider how far you have fallen. If we want to keep our love for Jesus alive and fresh, it's so important that we read and reflect on the scriptures daily. That we hear the scriptures taught at least weekly the way that we are right now. Because you see, when we do, we're reminded not only about the truth of God and the promises of God, but also of the principles and the precepts that God asks us to follow for our ultimate good. And so as we read the truth daily and as we hear the truth of God's word taught weekly at least, we are alerted to attitudes and to lives and to actions that may be hurting our relationship with the Lord and messing with our own thinking and our own minds. And we have the opportunity as a result to change direction, to repent and avoid the ditches that will destroy us. And instead, to continue to live our lives to the full and to grow in our friendship with Jesus. So let me ask you, how close is your relationship with the Lord? Is there anything that's creating distance between you and God? Can you name it? When you get up in the morning, what do you reach for first? The Bible or your phone? Everybody's going, yikes. <laughs> when you've got 15 minutes before your doctor will see you and you're in that waiting room, what do you do? Do you scroll through your phone? Or do you close your eyes and think to yourself, I've got 15 minutes that I can talk to the Lord right now. 
You know, if you find yourself that you're fighting for time just to, just to pray, you know the stuff that you're anxious about? The stuff that's just taken the joy right out of your life? The only way that I find release from all of that is when I stop and bow my head and I pray. The trouble is, I've got this long list of people to see and things to do and everything else. And so when it comes time to pray, I'm always fighting for that time. Oh, I've got to go, I've got to go, I've got to do this. But when I'm sitting there waiting for an appointment and I've got 15 minutes or I've got 10 minutes, I've got five minutes, instead of going to my phone, what an opportunity to go to the Lord and lay my burdens down and just to thank him for his goodness in my life. So can you name what's causing this distance between you and God? The next step Jesus gives to restoring our love for God is to repent. To repent means to change your mind, to turn around and go the opposite direction. You know, the Hebrew word for repent means to come back home to God where you belong. I love that. In the words of Jesus here, it is to change your mind about the way that you're living your life and to do the things you did at first. When you first fell in love with Jesus and you trusted him not only with your life but your eternity. When I realized that my affection for the Lord had diminished, I changed my mind about some of the things that were contributing to that. I asked for his forgiveness. I began to do many of the things that I've done so long. So let me ask you, is there anything that's keeping you distant from God that you need to repent of? Notice what Jesus goes on to say in the second half of verse 5. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. James is not saying here that Christians, Christians that have truly embraced Christ as their Lord and Savior, that Christians will lose their salvation, that they will be eternally lost or condemned. No, what he's saying is, is that the light of Jesus within us will diminish. It will grow dim. Our ministry as Christians and consequently as a church will lack power and effectiveness. We'll be working hard for Jesus but see little life change. Because we're not close to the Lord. And church, that's tragic. See, we need to understand that God loves us and wants what's best for us. We need to understand that he wants to strengthen us. He wants to empower us and to live the victorious Christian life. He wants to guide us. He wants to bless us. He wants to unleash his power through us in response to prayer. He wants to use us to introduce people to Jesus. But you see, all of that is an outgrowth of a close friendship with him.
Which explains, by the way, why Satan is doing everything he can these days and has down through history, but he's doing everything he can in a heightened fashion to mess with our relationship with God and keep uh, God at a safe, comfortable distance. Unfortunately, some people just don't get this. Their view, they view their relationship with God the way an old sailor did. His ship was sinking fast in shark-infested waters. And frantically, he's bailing water. He's trying everything in his power to fix the problem. Nothing works. And so finally, as a last resort, he looks up to heaven. And he says, Lord, I haven't bothered you in 15 years. If you'll save me from this, I promise I won't bother you for another 15 years. You see, sadly, that's the mindset of many people today, including some who call themselves Christians. And Satan celebrates this because he knows that people who have no relationship with Jesus are powerless. They're not a threat to him and his agenda at all. And yet God didn't create us to ignore us or for us to ignore him. He created us to have a relationship with us. If we don't stay close to him, if we don't listen to him speak to us by reading and reflecting on his word, if, if we don't speak to him through prayer, we're not only missing the very reason that God created us in the first place, but we will not receive the wisdom, the power, the grace, the joy, the peace to live a full and satisfying life and even more importantly to reflect his light and love to a hurting world around us. And so we have a choice. We can keep Jesus at a safe, comfortable distance and never experience the life that he intended for us. Or we can draw close to Jesus. We can be all in with him and the mission that he's called us to and live a full and a meaningful life without regret. You know, friends, I want to experience all that God has for me. I don't want to go through the motions of my faith. I don't want to give my life to lesser things. I don't want to waste energy on petty arguments and secondary issues. I don't want to live life half full. I don't want to cower in my house with fear and anxiety over what may or may not be happening around me. No, there's only one way I want to live the rest of my life. And that is to be all in with Jesus. Come what may. Come what may, and regardless of the cost, I joined the Apostle Paul saying, for me to live is Christ. My question for you in closing is, for you to live is what? Would you just bow your heads and close your eyes? And examine your relationship with God right now. How close or how distant is your relationship with him? And what's causing that? 
go to the Lord right now and say, Lord, what are you saying to me? And Lord, what are you asking me to do about it? 